Welcome to Sunday school. Thank you. <laughs> evening. Evening. I say good morning on Wednesday night, so I'll say good evening on Sunday morning, right? <laughs> Thank you. Um, Second Samuel 15 this morning. Uh, Gabriel and uh, Brenna had to be at Ankeny for something this morning. So they're also, they found out, I think, this weekend that they, they thought they were, had to be up there for a Sunday night service, but they found out it was this morning they had to be there. So they had to duck out also. So that's where they're at. Um, and, of course, Pastor Dean's out. And we're, we're very supportive of Pastor Dean going back and speaking to his church, obviously, uh, and if you're not aware of this, I, I think we tried to make this known, but they're acting as short-term missionaries with Baptist church planners as their our interim pastor. So they're working through Baptist church planners to be our interim pastor. So as missionaries, they have a home church, which is Maranatha, but they're our interim pastor. It's kind of confusing that way, maybe, but um, they're our interim pastor, but they're members of Maranatha. So we want them to be able to report back to their church and tell them what they're doing with their church, and their church is very supportive of that, but they also want to make sure that their whole church knows what's going on and stuff. So we're supportive of that, and so that's why we're giving them the opportunity to go back to their church and speak to them this morning. And their their family service is like in replacement of their Sunday school. They don't actually have a Sunday school service. They have like their regular service and what they call their family service. And he tried to describe it once, and I'm not really clear what the difference exactly is, except it's a less formal service or something. I don't know. Um, anyway, so... So they're going back for that. So that's what they're doing. Um, and it's, it's, it's good that they're doing that. So, um, And he'll be back full-time next week. And then uh, in a couple weeks, uh, they, have a, they have something that they're going to be at. So they're going to be gone. And Scott Owen's going to be in to, to teach. So we're going to have Scott here in a few weeks. I can't remember which week it was, too. It'll be next Sunday, Is it next Sunday? So, yeah, that's right. It is next Sunday. Okay, so, it's, so he's not going to be here next Sunday. Okay, so yeah, then so he'll be he'll be gone next Sunday, and then he'll be back after that. So Scott Owen will be here next Sunday. Um, and we'll look forward to that. Um, so uh, I think that's all. I guess I probably should have announced that Scott Owen was going to be here in the morning service, but that's okay. Second uh, Samuel 15. So where we're at, Second Samuel 14. We had uh, um, the story of Absalom was in exile because of him killing his brother and deciding to flee from David. And so Joab comes up with a strategy to get Absalom to come back to Israel, back to Jerusalem. And so we remember the the whole trickery that Joab came up with of finding this wise, crafty woman to come up with this story about her two sons that were fighting and one killed the other. And now the family wanted to kill the other son and she didn't want that. So she went to David and got David to say, you know, save my son. And then kind of turned the story on him and said, you're doing the same thing. David figures it out and says, oh, are you working on behalf of Job here? And she's like, yeah, Job sent me to do that. But David, anyways, brings Absalom back. And then Absalom comes back, but David doesn't allow Absalom to see him for two years. And then finally Absalom says, this is, enough is enough. Joab, go talk to David for me. Job says, no. Absalom says, Joab, go talk to David for me. No. Okay, I'm going to burn your field down. What do you want? Go talk to David for me. Okay, I'll talk to David. And so finally, Absalom comes before David, and David seems to finally forgive Absalom. Well, Absalom doesn't seem to have reconciled with David very well, as we're going to see here. So um, Absalom holds grudges, it looks like. He held a grudge against his brother, and now it looks like he's going to hold a grudge against David. And we'll see what Absalom does about that. So 2 Samuel 15. Let's uh, pray, and then we'll get started this morning. Lynn, will you pray for us this morning? Thank you.
So 2 Samuel 15, starting in verse 1. Who would like to read for us first? Ed, you want to read today? Okay, go ahead. Verses 1 through 6. Okay, that's good, Ed. You want candy? So number one is Absalom's plot. I found a case of markers that was unopened. It says always bold color, which I think is not true because my other markers were very bold. But that, that looks pretty good. Seems bold. It has patent three-chamber technology, whatever that is. Um, so anyway, um, Absalom's plot to steal the throne. And I tried to come up with a neat word so Gabriel couldn't guess, and he's not even here for my neat word. So um, anyway, Absalom won the people's hearts. Um, so he provided, first of all, I say he provided himself uh, symbols of kingship. He had men and horses and chariots. He, he kind of acted like a king in a way. He'd have men go before him, he'd have horses, he had chariots. He'd show that he had the things that the king had. He'd make himself look important. He'd make himself look like he was someone of power. And he'd kind of show that off to people. So he'd parade around with the horses, the chariots, and the men to run before him, just like a king would. Kind of getting the picture in people's minds, oh, this Absalom's somebody important. He's someone of power. He's someone who has some authority. So he's pointing in people's minds that this Absalom is not just an ordinary guy. He's somebody powerful. He's, he's kind of getting that image in people's minds. He's working on how people perceive him. You know, it's not just, you know, he's not just doing this for the fun of it. He's actually trying to improve his image. His image isn't just a new thing that we do nowadays. He was doing this back then. Um, and then he would go and he'd undermine the king's ability to judge. So the people would come into the city, and they'd come to the gates, and this is where they would often come to uh, receive judgment. If you remember the story of, of uh, Ruth and Boaz, where did Boaz go to uh, take care of the kinsman redeemer thing? He went to the gate of the city. That's where they made this deal. That's where they made this judgment. This is where people would go. And so Absalom would go there, and he would actually engage the people. So he would stop the people and say, hey, what tribe are you from? And they say, I'm from, I'm from this tribe, I'm from Benjamin, I'm from Asher, I'm from Gad, I'm from Reuben. And he'd go, oh, oh tell me about your case. Oh, this is what's going on. Oh, your, your case is good, it's right, somebody should hear it. But uh, there's, the king doesn't have enough people to do that. So he, he would undermine the king's ability to point out that the king didn't have enough people to hear every case. And that probably was true because there probably were a lot of cases and the king probably didn't have enough people to always hear every case. But he would stop and make sure everybody knew that the king didn't have enough people to hear every case, 
and make it look like the king wasn't competent enough to do what he was supposed to be doing. And so he's undermining the king's ability to judge. And then he wanted to promote his own ability to judge, so he, he made this thing, oh, if they would make me the judge, I could do this job. I could do it. I, I would give everyone justice who came to me. And then the people started to honor him. They, he would hold out his hand, and they would kiss his hand, and they would honor him. And so he was starting to win the hearts of the people. And so Absalom had the opportunity, I think I skipped some words there, or they got deleted. Absalom had the opportunity to win the loyalty of the people to himself, and he was taking that opportunity. And, again, not all of it was maybe David's fault, because you know, the king can't hear every case, and so Absalom was taking advantage of that and, and promoting himself and making himself look good, and maybe taking what was partially true and, and making work to his advantage here. And so he has this plot. He's going to try to steal the throne. Now, uh, Absalom's going to kind of play a little bit deceptive with his dad next, uh, verses 7 through 9. Go ahead, Josiah. Now it came to pass after 40 years that Absalom said to the king, Please let me go to Israel and pay the vow which I made to the Lord. For your servant took a vow while I dwelt at Gesher and Shiloh, saying, If the Lord indeed brings him back to Jerusalem, I will serve the Lord. And the king said to him, Go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. So Absalom, uh, and I can't spell while I'm talking, takes leave of the king. So he's being really deceptive. I'll put two words in the blank. And uh, it's not here. Okay, so we have a problem with the 40 years, okay? So you have David. This is going to be David's life here. So David was born sometime. Okay, and he dies. This is his life. So David was born uh, sometime during Saul's reign, right? So Saul's reigning, definitely during Saul's lifetime. So when did David become king? Anybody remember? Yes, after Saul died, but how old was David when he when 40. So and how, how long did David reign? Anybody remember? Yeah, about 40 years. So David died when he was 80. David becomes king when he's 40. And... There was a point here where there was seven years, remember this? Where he was king in Hebron because he was only king over Judah, right? And then he had 33, it was actually 33 and a half years, so he was actually about 80, 80 and a half years over Israel. Okay? So Saul dies here. Um, Absalom was born while David was in Hebron. So, so Absalom's rebellion has to happen sometime in here, right? This is. 40 years. So it happened after 40 years. After 40 years of what? Well, it can't be after Absalom returned from Israel for 40 years, right? It can't be after Absalom was 40 years old. It can't be after even David's been reigning for 40 years, because David hasn't reigned for 40 years. So after 40 years of what? That's a problem with the 40 years. Some have suggested maybe it's after 40 years of when he was anointed, that was one thing. Some people have said, well, maybe it's 40 days, but then the 40 days doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, if you have your Bibles, if they may have their Bible. No. If you turn to your Bible, just uh, 2 Samuel. 
in chapter 15. And look there, um, and we're in verse 7. And look in, if you have a middle notes, if you have a New King James, you have like those little notes. You should have middle notes in the middle, right? And you look down there, and after, if you look at verse 7, you have, it came to pass after, and then right before 40, you should have a little number 1, right? How many of you have that, little number 1 by the 40? Go to your middle notes and look what it says by the number 1. What does it say? Hmm? Yeah, what, what does it all say? Okay, so several manuscripts have this as four years. And what they think is that maybe that this was originally copied wrong. Instead of four, somebody accidentally copied it as 40, which would easily happen. Now, four years makes a little bit of sense because Absalom comes back for two years. David didn't talk to him. Then he has that little reconciliation thing. And then two more years, Absalom puts this plan into place. And so it's four years after Absalom returns. This seems to make a lot more sense, that maybe there was a copy error here, and it's actually four years. So that's uh, explaining about the 40. So instead of this being 40 years from some whatever date, we don't know what 40 years is, four years makes a lot more sense. So I have this in your notes. Uh, Some manuscripts say four, which is probably more likely here, okay? So that was my long explanation of why 40 years doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense in the text. It's okay. Um, Things sometimes get copied wrong, and they can usually be explained. So four years is probably more likely here. So after four years, or 40 years, whichever way you want to take that, Absalom asks to go to Hebron. Why Hebron? Yeah, he's going to pay. That's his explanation, but the real reason why he's going to Hebron is probably two reasons. One, I just told you he was born there. And number two, this is where David was originally anointed king, or basically where he first became king. So, you know, for Absalom, he's this part of his strategy. He's going to go to where his dad was originally made king, also to where his hometown is. But he tells him he's going to pay a vow, and he's going to make it really good to the Lord. Why? Because David's a religious man. This is right up David's alley. This is what David wants to hear. Dad, I'm going to go pay a vow to the Lord. Oh, good. This, 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 is, this is what David wants to hear. Um, because, I, because the Lord brought me back home, and I vowed that. So then I'll, return, I'll go there, I'll pay the vow, and then I'll return and serve the Lord. It's what every dad wants to hear. I'll, I'll go and do what's right, and I'll come back, and I'll serve the Lord. So David has no problem with this. This is a reasonable request to David. And Absalom, of course, he's doing all this behind David's back. David doesn't know any of this is going on. This seems very logical and very reasonable to him. And so he goes along with it. Go in peace. Go, go do what God wants you to do. To David's mind, this is totally acceptable. He has no problem with it. And in David's mind, I think he thinks Absalom's on the straight and narrow here and when Absalom really has all this stuff going on in the background. And David's going to find out otherwise in just a moment. So Absalom's plan is going into place. He takes leave of the king, and then 10 through 13, he's got to work some more of his magic. Jana, is that your hand going up to the... Your sister beat you, Lemuel. Go ahead, Jana. Kylo.
So Absalom wins support. And so first of all, he sends out spies. And the spies, this is from a root that means to go about on foot. And the root word can also carry the idea of not only spies, but also slander. And you kind of get that idea as they're going out there that they're trying to, um, you know, make something bad happen here. Because they're to go to all the tribes of Israel. So he sends them out all over the land. And they're to announce Absalom's reign. Basically, when the trumpet sounds, they're to say, Absalom reigns in Hebron. And to get all the tribes to turn their support to Absalom. Then he also invites men from Jerusalem, and they're uh, men from David's court, 200 men. And these men went not knowing what was going on. They go innocently without knowing anything. They think they're just coming for these sacrifices, and Absalom plays it up. He actually does sacrifice there, but he's winning their support as they go there. They're seeing him, and they're seeing what he's doing, and they're, they're turning over to the side. And his support keeps on growing. And the news is starting to get out now because now David's starting to realize and he's starting to get reports that the people are with Absalom. And all of a sudden, David realizes he's losing support in his own country, that the people are now turning away from him and turning towards his son and wanting his son to be the king now. And David's starting to realize that he's in trouble. And so David's going to make plans now. 2 Samuel 15, 14 through 18. Miriam. Okay, so David flees Jerusalem. He takes his servants. He, he flees quickly um, because he knows that Absalom at any time could come and take over the city. And it talks about here that, uh, that if he doesn't flee, that he's not going to be able to escape because if Absalom has the support of all the people and has a full army behind him, he can actually surround the city and he can siege the city and then they can't escape. And he also talks about the city being struck with the sword that Absalom's not going to leave them alive, so he need, knows they need to flee quickly. And he tells the servants, we need to go now. And his servants, you can see that they know what, what kind of character David is because they're like, we're going to faithfully follow you. We'll do whatever you say and we'll go wherever you go. So they, they know who David is, and they are willing to follow him wherever he goes. And you're going to see this over and over in this story, that uh, David's character is the type of person that people want to follow. Uh, people that know him are loyal to him. And I think it speaks to what, what kind of person David is, at least. And even though he's going through this, and part of this, is again, is God's judgment against him because of what he's done, that you still see that David overall is a good person. I mean, he's, he's a person that people find he's worth following. And so his servants are, are faithfully following. Now, David leaves behind ten concubines. And um, there's, there's no reason given why. I, you know, and given the fact of God's judgment against David and what God said that his enemy would do. You wonder why David does this, but he does. Um, and so, so he says to keep the house. I'm not sure what, what they're going to be able to do to keep the house. 
10 women against Absalom's army, but that's, that's what David does. He leaves them there to keep the house. To clean the house. I don't know. Maybe, maybe to say, this is still my house, so I'm leaving my 10 concubines here. Um, but then he leaves, and then um, he goes out to the outskirts of the city. And this might be to the furthest house of the city or, or the furthest dwelling place in the city. Um, People aren't sure exactly where this is exactly, but he goes out to the outskirts, kind of leads his people there, and then he stops and lets the people pass before him and kind of lets them go to safety first while he waits and, and kind of brings up the rear of the procession. So his servants keep going before him, and it talks about that there's about 600 men in, in all, um, plus probably their household and their family, so there's going to be more people than this, but 600 men. And a lot of these are, it says people have followed him from Gath. So these are like people that were with him in the days when he was fleeing from Saul. These are men that had been with him his whole time before he was even king that have been following him all along here. Um, so these men have been loyal to him for years and years and years and years. Um, these are people that have been with him in exile before that have, uh, even before he was king, that were following him. So these men have been faithful for all this time and have been with David. Uh, so so he, he has this kind of loyalty that these people have followed him all this time and, and they're still willing to follow him. They're, we're going back into exile, guys. You know, they've, they've done this before. Um, and so maybe that's part of it, too, that they have experience with this. You know, okay, here we go again. We can, we've done this once before. We can do it again type of idea. So, so they're fleeing from Jerusalem. Um, and then uh, another guy shows up. Let's read about him. This is an interesting guy. Who wants to read? Nathan. And the king said to Atai, the Gittite, Why are you also going with us? Return and remain with the king, for you are a foreigner and also an exile from your own place. In fact, you came only yesterday. Should I make you wander up and down with us today? Since I go, I know not where. Return, and take your brethren back. Mercy and truth be with you. And Atai answered the king and said, As the Lord lives, and as my lord the king lives, surely in whatever place my lord the king shall be, whether in death or life, even there also your servant will be. So David said to Atai, Go and cross over. And Atai the Gittite and all his men and all the little ones who were with him crossed over. And all the country wept with a loud voice, and all the people crossed over. The king himself also crossed over the brook Kidron, and all the people crossed over toward the way of the Lord. So Atai shows his loyalty to David. So we got this guy, Atai. Atai is a Gittite. Does anybody know what a Gittite is? I want to take a guess what a Gittite is, what country he's from. Gath, and where's Gath from? What nationality would he be if he's from Gath? He's a Philistine, yeah. He is a Philistine. And he's, uh, he's with David, and David sees him, and his household, because we see in the speech here that you and your men, or you and your brethren, or what is he, how does he say it? Uh, yeah, to take your brethren, so it's his, his people, his family. He commands him to remain with Absalom, because, number one, you're a foreigner. You're not an Israelite. You, have, you don't have to stay with me. Um, number two, you're exiled from your home already. You're already exiled once. This would be like a second exile. That's really unfortunate for you. You don't need to do that. Um, and really, I don't want to cause you any more hardship. You're going, we don't know where we're going. And you just got here. And I, don't th- I, think I'm, uh, I think I left that off in there, but that's another one you can put in there. You, you, you haven't been here that long. All these people, these 600 men have been with me since before I was king. You just got here. It says yesterday. It probably wasn't yesterday. It was probably shortly before this. But basically the idea is you haven't been with me that long. You have no loyalty to me. Don't worry about it. Go back. You don't have to. You don't have to stay with me. You don't, you don't have any. You don't have to show any loyalty to me. You haven't been here that long. You just you just joined up. And then you look at 
Ittai's response, and the first thing he says, as the Lord lives, and he uses the name, the Yahweh, the Jehovah name for Lord. Um, so first of all, he acknowledges who God is. He acknowledges David's God. So it seems like at least maybe he's converted to Judaism. He's acknowledged who God is, as the Lord lives, and as my Lord the King lives. And so wherever David is, and then uh, I'm going to be where you are, wherever you are, and then whether you live or die, I'm going to live or die with you. This guy just showed up recently, and he's ready to live or die with David. That's loyalty there. He's got to stay with David, and that, that moves David. And so David says, okay, you can cross over with us. Come along. If you're, you're willing to stay with me and you're willing to live and die with me, that, I'm not going to stop you. So David allows him and his family to stay with him. And then we see that the, the people here, all the people of the country, um, wept with a loud voice. And this is probably people who knew David, people from Jerusalem maybe, um, that, that knew of David here. They were mourning. And David follows last over his people. And I don't know if this is a thing that the king protecting his people as he's the last one to leave here but he follows last after everybody else crosses over. Um, then it, it, it goes to talk, the pastor talks about one more group that's coming along and another group that David wants to address. So let's look at this, verses 24 through 29. Lemuel, I'm trying to get your hand up quick. <laughs> So Zadok remains in Jerusalem. So Zadok and the Levites were following David, and they brought the ark. Now, why would the priests do this? The tabernacles in Jerusalem. Why are they bringing the ark along and following David? Okay, yeah, Absalom maybe hasn't shown a lot of spiritual maturity, hasn't shown maybe a whole lot of love for God. David has, has not only rescued the ark, but put a high significance on the priesthood, high significance on the worship of God. They're probably saying David's been very loyal to the things of God. We're going to stick with this guy. So they're, they're probably going to, we're better off with David as our king because he actually worships God, so we're going to go with him. Um, so they, they grab the ark, and they're like, David's fleeing, we're going with him. Um, so David sees him coming and says, okay, hold on, guys. Wait a second. <laughs> you guys need to go back. Um, and, and he gives us this interesting explanation. He says, if God's going to show me favor here, he'll bring me back to Jerusalem. He'll bring me back. I'll see, I'll see my palace again. I'll see the ark again. It's in God's hands. If he shows me favor, things will be fine. You guys go back. And if God chooses not to show me favor, well, I'm in his hands. And you guys coming with me isn't going to change that. The ark coming with me isn't going to change that. So this is all up to God. So you guys go back there. Things will be okay. Let's trust God with this. The place of the ark is with the tabernacle in Jerusalem. I'm going to trust God for the situation. It's in His hands, and so so David. That's that's David's theory here. I'm, you know, this this is God's decision. What what happens to me here? He's put me in the circumstance. He's put me in the situation. I'm going to do what I can control. I'm going to do what 
I can do and trust God for the results here. And again, I think maybe at the end of the last chapter, David thought maybe God's judgment was done, and now maybe he's seeing, okay, well, maybe God's doing a little bit more here, and I just need to wait this out and see what God does with this and, and wait for God to finish whatever he's going to do here. And I think David, you know, maybe he doesn't know that God's going to make him, keep him king again or not, but he's going to trust whatever God's going to do in this situation. So David sends Zadok back, and then he says, here, I'll, I'll give you something to do while you're here. You get information for me, and then when you have the opportunity, you send your sons to me and let me know what's going on, okay? <laughs> That's how you can help me. So you go there, you, you do your thing, and then when you have information, bring it to me. That, that can be a real help to me. Yeah, you can be my informant in the city. Yeah. How about we do that? And so Zach's like, okay, yeah, we can do that. So he goes back and... Uh, David's setting up his little spy network. And just because he loves God doesn't mean he can't have his political mechanisms in place and stuff like that. So he's, he's going he's gonna to make sure that he knows what's going on. So he, he has uh, the priest's sons running information back and forth for him. Intelligence. It's the, the Jerusalem spy network. So... Yeah, there's, there, yeah the, all the Levites, and probably, probably not all of the Levites in Israel, but the Levites that were assigned to the temple at that time because they rotated in and out during the year. So whoever was serving in the temple at that time, because remember the Levites took care of, the, or the tabernacle wasn't the temple at the time, but whoever, whoever had the duties at that time were probably with the priests at that time. And so they were all sent back there. It also kind of makes Absalom not worry about where these guys are that they're still in the city, so he doesn't have to worry about the Levites, doesn't have to worry about any of that. Figures that the Levites are on his side if they're in the city. Let's him worry a little bit less. He doesn't know that they're actually working for David, too. So, um, but he's not done setting up his little spy network, so let's read a little bit more. Joanna. So David places another spy in Jerusalem, <laughs> right in the palace. Um, so David leaves, and he leaves via the Mount of Olives. And um, I had forgotten this, but you know, I always thought Mount of Olives, that's a New Testament thing. But the Mount of Olives would have been around then, too. And David actually went via the Mount of Olives, and he was mourning. And he hears of Ahithophel's betrayal. Remember, and I, I forgot to cover this when we were back at the other point, but who's Ahithophel? Yes, and who was he? Who was he related to? Yeah, he was Bathsheba's grandfather. Again, he, he was probably inclined to betray David because of what happened. Um, you know, he... he he probably was not happy about the whole situation anyways, and so when Absalom came to power, he probably felt like you know this was something he could do. And so David gives us prayer. He prays that the Lord to work against Ahithophel's, that's a hard name to say, Ahithophel's counsel. Um, you know, 
there's an interesting prayer. You know, pray against somebody's counsel. Um, sometimes I pray, uh, when I'm praying for a government, I pray that uh, God would work against the counsel of liberals, uh, make them do what's right despite themselves. I mean, I, I think you can pray stuff like that, uh, that they would pass laws that honor God, despite, you know, I think most of them don't want to honor God. They want to do things that don't honor God. So I, I pray for that. I also pray that if uh, people want to do what's wrong in our government, that if they don't change their ways, that God would replace them with people that want to honor him. I think that those are okay things to pray. David here prays that his counsel would turn to foolishness. And then somebody shows up. Hushai, he comes to David. He's, he's really mourning. He has his robes torn and he has dust on his head. And David uh, sends him back that he, he would just be a, and that should be just, that's not, I don't know why the H got in there, but that should be a J. He will just be a burden to David. Now, why would he be a burden to David? David already has 600 plus people, plus this guy, uh, this other guy, this Philistine guy with him. Why, why would another guy be a burden to him? Most guesses, people think he's a rather old guy. Um, probably doesn't move very fast, probably. This is why maybe he's catching up, because he was lagging behind already. And David's like, we're just going to have to wait for you if you come along. That's a, that's a guess by people. Um, so David's like, okay, I'm going to give you a mission. You're, you're too slow to keep up with us, but go back and pretend to serve my son. Say, just as I served your dad, I'm going to serve you now. Uh, Ahithophel is doing that anyway, for real. You pretend to do it. And go and defeat Ahithophel's council. And then you report all that happens to the priest, and the priest will give word to me. I already set up that network, so you, you can give them all the inside information. They can send it to me, and I can know what's going on. And Hushai is like, okay, cool. That's a good idea. We'll do that. So David sets up this whole intricate spy network right within the palace, right within Absalom's counselors, and puts his own man in there. And David, just because he's a good guy and loves the Lord, doesn't mean he can't be a little shrewd once in a while and be politically smart about things. So, so Hushai, David's friend, went into the city, and Absalom came into Jerusalem, and Hushai goes in, and we'll see that Hushai does a pretty good job. Um, he's very adept at doing what David wants him to do. So... So that's chapter 15. Uh, takeaways. Again, one of these chapters that you go, what do you do with a chapter like this? What, what can we get out of this? Obviously, I can tell you, don't be like Absalom. You know, don't, Nathan, don't betray your dad. Don't try to take over his household. Oh, oh no. Okay, um, I'm going to take my kids and flee from Nathan. Um, so, no. Um, so... One of the things I noticed is at one point it talks about that as David's fleeing, he stopped and worshipped. And um, let me see if I can find the verse where it says that. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's really important that, um, and this, this is where uh, Hushai caught up with him. I think he wouldn't have caught up if David didn't stop and worship. But David stopped to worship God as he was fleeing from Absalom. I mean, he, he made that still a priority. He was fleeing for his life, but he still stopped to worship God. And our worship of God does not depend upon our circumstances, but on God himself. David was in dire circumstances, but the worship of God was still the priority in his life. Um, therefore, it doesn't matter if we are doing well or if, or if we are troubled. God does, still deserves our worship. Um, we don't worship God because things are going well, or we don't stop worshiping God because our life is in shambles. Our worship of God depends on God alone. It depends on his unchanging character. It depends on who God is. It depends on his sovereignty. It depends on his majesty. It depends on his greatness. We worship God because he is God, not because of who we are or our circumstances. And David understood that. David was fleeing for his life, but he still made time to worship God. And that was a priority for him. I think that's a good example to us that we need to stop and worship God even when we don't feel like it, even when we feel like we don't have the time, we don't have the energy, we don't have 
the mental capacity. That doesn't matter. Our worship of God depends on who God is, and we need to worship God. So we need to worship God. So that's number one. Number two, um, David accepts God's judgment for him for his sin and places his fate in God's hands. And I take that back to when uh, David sent the ark back. He said, if God accepts me and brings me back, I'll see everything again. But if he doesn't, then God will do what is good and right. Um, David understands if God is to show him favor, he's able to bring him back to Jerusalem to be the king once again. And if God's punishment leads to David never returning to be king, then God is still righteous in his actions. And David's willing to accept that. Again, his worship comes after he makes that statement. You know, he understands who God is. And God is always right and good in his judgments. We can trust him and should always acknowledge God's righteous character. So, um, you know, if, if we have hard things come in our life, there's, there could be many reasons behind that. We could have hard things come in our life because we're doing what's wrong, and God's putting hard things in our life to bring us back to the right way. We could have hard things come in our life because God's trying to teach us patience and trying to, teach, and trying to grow us and mature us. The Bible tells us that could happen. Anyway, if hard things are coming in our life, God is still good and God is still righteous, and we need to trust in God and trust in his working in our life. Um, We've been reading Romans in our family Bible time, and uh, Romans tells us that God works all things out to good to those who believe upon his name, who are called to walk according... I'm getting the verse wrong. Let me guess, Romans 8. I want to get it right because I had it there for a second and I lost it. Um, yeah. Yep. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Um, and we need to believe that, that all things work to good. That means if we have difficulty in our life, even though we say this is hard and this is difficult and I don't like it, that God says all things work together for our good. So there's good that's going to come out of it because God's working those things out for our good. Um, David understands that part of what's going on in his life is God's judgment, but that God's working that out for his good and that he's going to work that out in his life. And he understands that even if he never comes back to Jerusalem and even if God's judgment leads to bad things happening, that God's good and God's right. And God, he trusts God in that. So we need to accept what God does in our life. And then the last thing I thought of, and again, this is something that I just saw here, just in, out of one thing, is that David prays for God to frustrate Ahithophel's counsel. And then God answers David's prayer by providing Hushai to be a man to just do this, like right away. Um, it reminded me again of a passage I, we were reading in Acts where uh, the disciples are sitting at the home and praying for Peter's release from prison. You remember the story? And Peter gets out, God releases him, goes to the house and knocks on the door, and the little girl goes and answers the door, and she sees Peter and runs in and goes, Peter's at the door. And they're like, no, no, we're praying for Peter. He's not at the door. She's like, no, he's at the door. No, he's not at the door. He's at the door. No, you're seeing his ghost. He's not at the door. You know, they're praying for Peter's release, and then when he's released, they don't believe it. David's praying here for, some, for God to frustrate this guy's counsel, and God answers right away by bringing Hushai, who David goes, oh, hey, this is my answer to prayer that I'm going to send you back to frustrate this guy's counsel. You know, sometimes, and, and like, again, I don't, I don't want to keep bringing this up, but I, I will, um, you know, that night that we prayed for Norm in my group, and then the next day God brought Norm right to my, my lunch table and had him ask about God. It was like, I, I almost didn't believe it. I was like, are you answering the prayer already? Well, yes, God can do that. God answers prayer, and we shouldn't be surprised when God does it, and even when God does it, like, immediately. You know, sometimes we get in our mind, well, we've got to pray forever, and maybe God will answer it someday. No, sometimes God's going to answer our prayers immediately, and um, God will answer prayer. God answers David's prayer by providing Hushai to be the man to just do that. And we should not be surprised when God answers our prayers. 
I think sometimes we get in our mind that we, we keep praying harder and harder, and sometimes God shows us grace and just answers it. Um, God hears his saints and work, wants to act on their behalf, and he cares for us. You know, and I, I go back to the other story, the unjust judge. You know, he, he sat there, and the, the old lady kept coming and pleading her case, and he didn't want to hear it, and he didn't want to hear it. And finally he goes, boy, this lady's going to keep troubling me. I'm just going to, I'm going to act on her behalf so she stops bothering me. And then Jesus says, well, God not hear his saints if they, they call out to him day and night. And then he goes on to say, but God, God doesn't want to do that because he cares about them. He's going to answer them speedily. And that's what Jesus says. He's going to answer them quickly because he cares for them. God cares for you. He wants to answer you. He wants to help you. God answers our prayers. And even David, he's under God's judgment here, but David prays, God, thwart this counsel, this man. And then Hushai happens to come up. And David's like, I, you can't come with us, but I think God can use you to answer this prayer. Maybe, maybe David was thinking some other way. Maybe David would think that, uh, you know, uh, this... A Hishothel would speak in tongues or something that the king couldn't understand, but here's, here's a different answer. Maybe David wasn't even thinking this answer, but God answered it. And so God answers prayers, and we need to believe that. We need to trust that when we pray, and not just pray like, okay, I'll pray, but I don't know what God's going to do. Well, God wants to answer your prayer. If you're walking in his ways, if you're serving him, God wants to answer your prayers and wants to do what's best for you and answer the prayers that you have. So those are my thoughts. Any other thoughts? Questions, concerns, comments? And that should be the first place we go. Yeah. Yep. And, and I think even just showing David mercy and grace, I mean, David has to be very discouraged at this point and just giving him an answer right away is probably, you know, God hasn't forsaken David. Even, even in the punishment that he's going through, God hasn't forsaken David. Any other thoughts, questions, comments? Okay, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Ted, will you close us in prayer?